important step towards reshaping the global financial architecture. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Good morning and welcome to Money for Nothing. I'm Brian Curtis. Apple and IBM form a business partnership. Intel reports strong earnings and Fed Chief Janet Yellen warns about valuations in social media and biotech. Ms. Yellen also told Congress the spigot will stay open on stimulus because the economy needs it and that the job market is still weak. Even so, a slew of earnings suggest companies are seeing an improving trend in the economy. From J.P. Morgan to Intel to CSX, profits announced in the past 12 hours were strong. Here at home, China's credit growth tops estimates. Stocks rise ahead of GDP, and Ping'an Bank will raise 30 billion renminbi. So many interesting things to talk about this morning, so pull up a chair. Oh, yes, one other thing. Warren Buffett gave Bill Gates Foundation $2.1 billion of stock this year. That is his biggest annual gift so far. To get us started, Janet Yellen. We need to be careful to make sure uh, that the economy is on a solid trajectory uh, before we consider raising interest rates. So interest rates to stay low and again the spigot will stay open. We judge that a high degree of monetary policy accommodation remains appropriate. In our featured segments, um, So anyway, lots of interesting nuances coming up on that discussion in just a moment. But let me tell you first uh, who will be a part of our featured segments. We'll be talking to Peter Churchhouse from Asia Hard Assets on property in Hong Kong and also in China. Andrew Markerji from Reuters on the union budget in India. And Steve Wong from the Reorient Group on all things China. Steve is not afraid to take a view and he'll tee up investments for the next quarter. A quick check here on how the markets are moving in Asia. The Nikkei is down 22 points at 15,373 in the first five minutes of trading. In Australia, the ASX 200 up about one point, And in Seoul, the Kospi up about two points. So not too much movement on the equity front. In terms of currencies, the dollar-yen, 101.69. That's the dollar a little stronger against the yen. The euro, 1.357. So that's the euro a little weaker against the U.S. dollar. The euro, again, 1.357 U.S. dollars. And the pound now 13 Hong Kong dollars and 28 cents, very close to the strongest that it's been in about six years. So the guest coming up in just a moment, but first let's get into some of these corporate stories. Apple and IBM have announced a wide-ranging partnership. The two companies described it as a way to bring advanced analytics to mobile devices and thus to the corporate world. Apple CEO Tim Cook gave a rare interview to CNBC along with IBM chief uh, Ginny Rometty. Jenny and I started talking uh, a couple of years ago and getting to know each other. And over that period of time, we built up a tremendous trust and respect for each other. And we began to talk about how complementary our companies are. And so from that, we assigned some teams in both companies to go look at some things we could do together. And this was one of the things that came out. And I think it is absolutely huge. It's landmark. He explains why the partnership will be effective. It takes the best of Apple and the best of IBM and puts those together. There's no overlap. There's no competition. But they're totally complementary. And more than anything, it focuses on the enterprise customer. 
So this is all about transforming the enterprise, reinventing the enterprise, taking big data analytics down to the fingertips of people so they can spend their time making complex decisions, not running around getting data. And so uh, we are just thrilled. I'm thrilled to be working with Jenny. I think, uh, and more importantly, I think a lot of customers will be thrilled. It sort of goes against the notion that iPads uh, are more for viewing than for doing, so it will empower um, Apple to have more analytics in the iPad. The company said that they're working on more than 100 uh, business software programs developed exclusively for the Apple iOS operating system, and so for use on iPhones and iPads. Ms. Rometty said that three aspects stand out. I know, I know we, the two of us actually agree very much on the top three things we're going to accomplish together. One is growth for both our companies, but the second thing is this idea that uh, we have both, Tim and I have talked often about remaking business and re-envisioning, reimagining professions. So this is all about unlocking mobility in the enterprise and value that hasn't been there to date. And then the third thing we're going to do together is actually addressing the number one inhibitor. And one of the biggest inhibitors has been things like security. And so we're really providing value all the way across those issues. The applications will be used in retail, healthcare, transportation, banking, insurance, and telecommunications. On Wall Street, the S&P 500 fell while the Dow eked out a small gain. Fed Chief Janet Yellen delivered no major surprises about the economy or rates. Although the economy continues to improve, the recovery is not yet complete. Even with the recent declines, The unemployment rate remains above the Federal Open Market Committee participants' estimates of its longer-run normal level. Jeffrey's analyst David Zervos was asked for his reaction to the commentary. It's not a lot of surprises. She's been very uh, good at not answering the questions that got her into trouble before. Someone asked her about when will rates lift off, and she sort of went into a long discussion about the SEP forecast and where the committee sees it somewhere in the 2015 region, which shouldn't scare anyone off of the bond markets. The market reaction looks pretty subdued. In the end, the S&P 500 was down 0.2% in 1973. The Dow Industrials were up five points at 17,060. Well, here's a little montage of the Fed chair's comments. The GDP decline um, is largely due to factors I would judge to be transitory, and I do think that it substantially, that negative number substantially understates the momentum in the economy. But, of course, this is something we need to watch very carefully and are doing so. Nevertheless, my overall view is more positive. We need to be careful to make sure uh, that the economy is on a solid trajectory uh, before we consider raising interest rates. There's no formula and there's no mechanical um, answer that I can give you about when the first rate increase will occur. It will depend on the progress of our of the economy. There are some risks in a low interest rate environment. I've indicated that and we're aware of them, but I think the um, improvements we've put in place in terms of regulation both diminishes the odds that risk will develop. 
So we've got our guests coming up in just a moment, but I wanted to spend a little bit more time on Ms. Yellen and some of the comments uh, that came out of the Fed in the past day. The Fed's concerns about valuations in social media and biotech did overshadow uh, the broader market and the better earnings that I referred to earlier from the companies like CSX and Intel. The Dow Internet Composite Index was down almost 1%. The Nasdaq Biotech Index down 2.3%. Bloomberg's Eric Schatzker picks up on this point. Coincident with Janet Yellen's testimony, the Fed releases on a semi-annual basis a monetary policy report. There's lots of commentary in here about uh, many different things, but uh, the Fed took uh, space explicitly to comment on the stock market. Specifically this, valuation metrics in some sectors do appear substantially stretched, particularly those for smaller firms in the social media and biotech industries. Yes, that's Bloomberg's Eric Schatzker. It raises the question, should the Fed try to stop bubbles from forming? Here's economist Mike McKee. This came up, uh, the whole idea of what you do about uh, bubbles or potential bubbles has come up a couple of times mm-hmm. in recent weeks with her. And, and she in this hearing. On the, on the macroprudential argument that you do other things, primarily regulation, but one of the other things you can do is jawbone them down. what? Macroprudential. I mean, use regulations to... As distinct from to, monetary as policy. to raising interest rates to pop a bubble. And that was the specific question from yeah. Senator Schumer. And he's, can you stop a bubble from forming? or can you stop the market from collapsing or can you stop a bubble from forming without raising interest rates yeah and their view is they can uh, attack it and probably do so but the other thing you can do is to jawbone down some of this so they may have I mean, either this is a mistake or they deliberately put it in there because they see problems here and they know people will read this and it may have a little bit of an effect Also in the market, J.P. Morgan and Goldman Sachs rallied after the banks reported better-than-forecast earnings, and Intel was up 4.5% after the market closed after it reported results. The yield on the 10-year Treasury note unchanged at 2.55%. Our first guest this morning is Steve Wong, Research Director and Chief China Economist with the Reorient Group. Steve, good morning. Hey, good morning. So the China GDP numbers uh, looks like from consensus estimates uh, the number is about 7.4% year-on-year in the second quarter. Is that about where you are? We are just slightly ahead at 7.5. I think the second quarter number are going to be a little bit prettier because uh, I think economy is stabilizing. Uh, Monetary-wise, we're seeing a little bit uh, signs of loosening. So I think uh, we have an upside surprise on the GDP for the second quarter. And into the second half of this year, we think that the pickup in overall investment and the sentiment will drive somewhat higher GDP towards our full-year target of 7.7%. What is fueling the slightly better conditions, uh, in your view? Uh, certainly a lot of what uh, the government has done in terms of uh, targeted stimulus, they have tried to, you know, uh, ranging from speeding up uh, the giving of tax rebates to uh, easing uh, triple R for certain sectors. We call that basically the acupuncture therapy that Premier Lee has put in place for the overall economy to free up certain sections of the economy to sort of revitalize job growth and things of that sort. And most recently, what you have seen in is a pickup in money supply and credit supply, so as, you, as you mentioned in your, in your uh, preview. Yeah, some of the earnings have been uh, pretty good, but I noticed that the president said uh, overnight that the global economy still hasn't emerged from the financial crisis. 
Yes, I think that really means that China just can't depend on export to drive its economy forward. So more or less, they really have to look into the domestic picture to see what you can do. And certainly, uh, we've been talking about the anti-corruption campaign as a way to increase productivity. I think uh, I would share a little bit of what we said in London when we recently went on a marketing trip to to see financiers there. And I mean, generally speaking, people are very bearish on China still. Yes, so, people have been very bearish. Yes. Uh, um, a lot of bets against China. Obviously, you could mm-hmm. tell that by the uh, by the stock market performance, and quite a lot of that feeds through here into Hong Kong. Um, I know you're not really a stocks guy, but as you look at the market and the part that it plays in the economy, uh, does it look any better for the second half than the first half? Yeah, I think we, we think with the monetary conditions starting to ease a little bit because that follows on the foot of a cracking down on shadow banking industry. Uh, we will have certainly a fa- more favorable overall environment for the general economy. And first off is, is the PRC banks. I mean, we did a lot of analysis checking the credit quality of, of their books, and it does look pretty, pretty uh, robust. You know, the impact from any sort of decline in the housing sector would have to be very, very large in order to affect the banking uh, banking quality, banking sector quality. So I think we, we certainly love banks. Chinese banks right now, they are still making a lot of money. And, and So do you have to be pretty confident that the housing market doesn't blow up to be positive on the banks? You don't have to be Or do you think that that's already factored into the prices? No, people are factoring a, a crash in the, in the housing market in the, in the bank valuation. I think because with a very heavy uh, mortgage down payment in China and, you know, Fears of uh, fears of a repeat of the U.S. housing crisis. You know, Chinese government and the banks has been very, very careful in terms of lending to the residential market. So there's a couple of other things uh, we can talk about. Uh, Pingon Bank raising as much as 4.8 billion U.S. dollars uh, selling securities. That's a cool 30 billion renminbi. Um, that's quite a lot of money. Is that how do you interpret something like that? I think the most important thing of, of everything, that very complicated thing going on in the financial sector is really that the government is making sure the its banking sectors remain very healthy and it's capable of doing its job of supplying credit and sustaining the life of the economy. And this is what the term that has been coined by the premier. Were you a bit surprised that the credit growth um, uh, numbers that came out topped estimates? Yes, it's a very, very large number. In fact, 14.7% year-on-year growth is... By no means a small number. And is that mini stimulus or is that more than mini stimulus? Uh, well, actually, um, that that's a combination of uh, various factors. That you have a little bit larger money, uh, New Year and loans. You have a little bit of pickup in bond uh, issuances. So all that added up to the money supply. I think this is not necessarily a stimulus from the top because uh, I think they want to refrain from an overall. Opening the spigot. I mean, they want to do it uh, bit by bit, and that's why we call it acupuncture style therapy. Here's a comment from Fan Jianjun, a researcher at the Development Research Center mm-hmm. under the State Council um, in the Shanghai Security News this morning, uh, saying China's economy risks entering deflation and a liquidity trap and should have relatively loose monetary policy. Do you agree with that? Uh, no, I don't agree with that. I don't. I don't Is think that that, def- that sort of that sort of assumes that they're still in troubles in the trouble zone, and you think they've kind of emerged. Well, this is what we are in our overall theme that uh, we've talked about before a little bit is that we think China is really in a state of, of transformation. There are parts of the economy that is going to be washed out, 
And you know, I think if you look at some deflationary pressure, a lot of that's coming from the, the economy that's basically sort of hopeless. And then like, then there are economies that are they're part of the economy, part of part of the sector, you know, different sector that are growing very well. So your house, what investments do you like at the moment when you look at China? Would you, for instance, rather buy the bonds of the developers than the uh, than the stocks? Uh, you said you already you like banks. Yeah. Uh, what are some of the areas? I know uh, traditionally over the past year you guys have liked um, the new economy stocks. Where are you now? I think the new economy stock will have been less less. Uh, we have been pushing that, but less this year because uh, as what uh, Yellen said overnight is it's quite expensive. So. We rather look into some of the value plays, and bank is certain one. But I think property developer, a lot of people have a lot of interest, and that's actually uh, reverse brokerage from the the fund community in London, actually. And so I think property developers stock is a better buy than the bonds. Bonds are still quite expensive. If you see a sell down in terms of the bond, and uh, you get a little bit more pickup in the yields, then you want to buy those. But right now, I think I think people are looking at stock. Okay, Steve, uh, thanks very much for joining us here on Money for Nothing. Uh, we've got Peter Churchhouse, editor of Asia Hard Assets, coming up uh, in a few minutes. Uh, and also Andy Mukherjee coming up from Reuters Breaking Views. Okay, so you're listening to the program uh, with that name uh, here on Radio 3. I'm Brian Curtis reporting. Indian Prime Minister Mahendra Modi has pledged to fix the country's broken investment cycle. This may be more easily said than done. We're joined now by Andy Mukherjee, columnist for Reuters Breaking Views. Uh, Andy, good morning. Good morning, and it's always a pleasure to be on your show. Yeah, it's great. Uh, I think here in Hong Kong, we haven't followed uh, the developments so closely. Uh, we didn't uh, jump on the, the maiden budget speech uh, from the new Indian finance minister, perhaps uh, as you did. Um, but I did want to talk about it a little bit and also to talk to you about the run-up in equity prices, because investors listening to this program might be curious if this run can continue. Right. So, so, so. Now, as you know, there was a lot of reform hype before the budget with the new government coming in and uh, and, and coming in with uh, a very strong electoral mandate. The expectations, investor expectations were running sky high from this maiden budget of the new government. Now, the finance minister's proposals didn't quite live up to that hype. Now, tackling subsidies, for instance, or introducing a federal sales tax or or, you know, taking care of the the, the, uh, the, the pathetic state of, of, of the of the of, of the fisc. Now, those things are getting sort of left for future action. But the good thing in the budget speech was its stress on investment, particularly infrastructure investment. You know, as you know, India has a massive infrastructure deficit. So, urban infrastructure, highways, ports, you know, special zones, subways, you name it, it was all there in the budget. Now, mind you, not everything is going to be financed by the government because, as I said, the government simply doesn't have the money for it. The uh, private sector will play a very crucial role. Um, now, it's it's a good first step to reviving growth, which has slowed to sub-5% from the heady 8 and 9% growth that the economy was chalking up before 2008. So, but so the fact that... The, yeah. I was going to say, so will will all this spending on infrastructure? I mean, God knows, people for years have talked about uh, the inferiority of uh, of the infrastructure in India compared to China. Is this spending going to reduce up uh, GDP? Well, yes, because the government 
billion dollar allocation to infrastructure spending this year is, is quite significant. Um, on top of that, the government is actually uh, going to allow private sector participation into Indian infrastructure in a, in a big way. And it's also going to you know, make some of the financing structures uh, which currently do not exist, uh, it's going to make them available. For instance, a corporate bond market, you know, which, which, which simply doesn't exist in India. Now, the government has, has, has really uh, sort of pledged to make that possible. Um, similarly, uh, you know, the, 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 there is also a proposal to have a real estate investment trust rate, which India currently doesn't have. Uh, and... Um, Business trusts, especially focused on infrastructure, so infrastructure investment trusts. Now, now these are some of some of the innovations which which should make uh, greater investment into Indian infrastructure a possibility. Do people have a lot of confidence uh, in the management team, given that, or the government uh, team, given that uh, they did seem to fall a bit short uh, on some of the reform ideas? now, investors will give the new government the benefit of the doubt, because after all, uh, elections, uh, the election results only uh, came out in May. So the new government got less than two months to put together this, this first uh, budget. So it's, it's really the budget in February, uh, uh, the, the next one, uh, which will be watched very keenly for, for its signals on some of the longer-term longer term reforms that India very badly needs. How long of a rope do they give them? Um, if, if the February budget similarly disappoints on, on reforms, if let's say there is no clarity even in the February budget on when uh, the GSC or the goods and services tax is going to become a reality, uh, then uh, you know some of some of, some of uh, the, the, the confidence that investors currently have in the government will, will start to win. I know you're a journalist, but uh, back to my original question, does it have a sense that the equity market will continue to run? Uh, one does get the feeling that the equity markets are going to respond favorably, uh, not just to the new government and its pronouncement, but also the fact uh, that there has been a welcome easing of inflationary pressures in the economy. So, so that's, that's good news, and the markets are, are sort of uh, cheerful about that. Uh, the only real risk uh, to that scenario is the possibility of an air-leading time weather, weather pattern leading to a major drought this year. Because if that happens, then you have a situation where growth uh, sort of further weakens uh, because of uh, lower agricultural income, and inflation um, gets elevated or remains elevated Okay, Andy, uh, unfortunately, we've got a bad line. Sounds like you're on the dark side of the moon. Uh, so I think we'll have to let it go, and uh, we'll talk again soon. Thanks very much. Andy Mukherjee, Reuters Breaking Views columnist, joining us here on Money for Nothing. Speaking of 
bring you up to date on how the markets are moving now. The Nikkei down 27 points. Uh, we see kind of a mixed market this morning. Nothing really from Janet Yellen that would turn investors off um, across Asian markets. Uh, Australia slightly higher. Seoul slightly higher. The Nikkei a little bit down. What we have coming up in the next uh, 15 minutes or so, Peter Churchhouse, editor of Asia Hard Assets. And we'll recap some of the major news from yesterday. Obviously, uh, quite a lot happening here on the uh, political front with the report given to uh, Beijing by our chief executive. All that coming up in just a few moments. Let me run through oil prices uh, down now for almost uh, 12 days in a row. Brent crude $106.02. WTI under 100 in the United States. And gold now under We'll slip this in before we get to the bottom of the hour. Lawmakers have voted overwhelmingly to formalize the doubling of stamp duty here. The measure was introduced more than a year ago in a bid to cool down the property market. Councillors rejected all of the amendments apart from one from the Democratic Party's Wu Chi Wai. That one allowed non-permanent residents to be exempted from paying double stamp duty when they buy public housing units, which they're currently living in. Legislators spent over three days debating the bill. The Secretary for Financial Services, Casey Chan, said it's hard to tell how long the measure will stay in place. I believe the, uh, the DSD, as well as the previous uh, past measure, uh, what we call, what's called BSD measure, uh, these measures are necessary to uh, manage the demand and to manage excess demand uh, on our, on our, you know, and then try to really you know, lead to a healthy uh, housing market. Now, uh, it's very difficult for anyone to say how long these measures uh, should be in place because so many things are happening. Uh, I think before we talk about the, the local situation, uh, we must uh, be aware that you know, there's a lot of uncertainty going around in the world. And the interest rate changes, the capital flows, this, these things which happen outside of Hong Kong will affect Hong Kong. So we have to monitor those macroeconomic factors very closely, as well as our own local situation. Uh, you mentioned some of the local market uh, reaction recently. We have to really you know, wait and see and monitor and see how it develops. Uh, the government is committed uh, to taking effective measures to manage the, the situation so that our market can develop in a healthy and sustainable way. That's Casey Chen. Well, just a couple of other tidbits for you this morning. Alibaba says that it is likely to sell more IPO stock as Yahoo retreats. Uh, the China home market, according to the People's Daily, has reached a bottom line. And uh, as we mentioned, uh, President Xi said that the global economy still hasn't emerged from the financial crisis. Uh, a lot more coverage coming up in the second hour of Money for Nothing. the weather today. Uh, expecting fine conditions. Some isolated showers. Uh, pretty hot, though. 34 as the maximum. The outlook windy with occasional heavy rain in the next few days. The news is next. Time is 8.30. We get the latest in news from our newsroom. Here's Samantha Butler.
Lawmakers from both sides of the political divide say discussions on political reform should focus on the makeup of the nominating committee for chief executive candidates and how it will vote. Regina Ip from the New People's Party and Ronnie Tong of the Civic Party were speaking to RTHK this morning after the government released two reports yesterday on political reform. I think that is the key to the whole political reform because if the nominating committee can truly represent the people of Hong Kong, then uh, we need not worry about screening and we need not worry about whether or not there is a civic nomination. And apart from nomination committee, we should also focus on how the nominating committee will vote, whether they comply with democratic procedures, the wording in the basic law. Well, that, that's another key, and the procedure is a procedure of nomination. It should not be a procedure for election. The nominating committee should not usurp the function of the people of Hong Kong in having a first election before allowing the people of Hong Kong to vote on the people they elected on. Meanwhile, on the 2016 Legislative Council elections, pan-Democrats were angry that the reports made no steps towards abolishing functional constituencies. The Foreign Minister of Iran, Mohammad Javad Zarif, has suggested that talks with six world powers over his country's controversial nuclear program may need to go beyond this Sunday's deadline. Mr Zarif said more time might be necessary as the parties continue negotiations in Vienna with the aim of transforming the interim agreement made in November into a final comprehensive deal. I see an inclination on the part of my negotiating partners that they believe more time may be useful and necessary. But we haven't made that determination yet, as Secretary Kerry said earlier today, that we haven't made that determination yet. We are still consulting, soul-searching, looking still at the possibility of trying to finish this. Leaders from the BRICS group of emerging economic powers have agreed to set up a new development bank and contingency fund. The bank will be based in Shanghai, have an Indian president and an initial capitalization of 100 billion US dollars. The BBC's Katie Watson is in the Brazilian city of Fortaleza where the summit was held. Critics often say the BRICS have nothing in common. Different economies and politics make them more like rivals than friends. But the one thing they all agree on is that reform of international financial institutions is needed, with rich countries getting too much say when it comes to loans from institutions like the World Bank. And so the establishment of a BRICS development bank aims to address this. Leaders also announced the establishment of a $100 billion currency reserve fund to help BRICS countries out in times of economic crisis. Israel has mounted a fresh wave of airstrikes on Gaza as attempts to introduce a ceasefire in the territory falter. The Israeli military said it had hit dozens of rocket launch sites used by Palestinian militants in response to the continued attacks by Hamas. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Good morning to you. This is Money for Nothing. Details on the stories you just heard in our news summary there coming up in a few short minutes here on the program. We'll also be speaking with Peter Churchhouse, editor of Asia Hard Assets, about property here in Hong Kong and also in China. And we'll be speaking with Timothy Pearson Smith a bit later. The operator of the proposed Ferris wheel at the Central Harbor Front, Swiss AEX, is hoping that one million people will ride in it in the first year of operation. So interesting interview coming up a little bit later on that. First, 
Let's dig into some of our top stories of the day in greater detail. The government has been accused of distorting the views of Hong Kong people in its reports on political reform and of even holding a fake public consultation on electing the chief executive in 2017. In essence, a report to be submitted by the chief executive to the National People's Congress and its standing committee says that Hong Kong is eager to elect its leader by universal suffrage, but divided on how to achieve it. It also stresses that the power to put forward chief executive candidates is vested only in the nominating committee, though it does acknowledge demands for public nomination. The Business and Professionals Alliance, Andrew Lung, welcomed the reports, calling them an accurate reflection of Hong Kong people's views. It's a, a document that accurately reflects uh, what uh, uh, government have collected uh, uh, over the five months. Uh, it's not mere, you know, uh, two reports plus um, the CE's report um, uh, to the central government, but also there's appendix that have, you know, uh, got all the opinions they have collected so far. So I think it's a summary of, you know, the hard work they have been uh, doing for the past five months, you know, during the consultation period. So comment there on the positive side, but people power lawmaker Albert Chan was far from happy. It didn't really reflect the, the actual and the real views of the Hong Kong people, especially the demand for the, uh, the abolition of the functional constituency in 2016. It didn't, it didn't really reflect that. And also as for the election of the CE for 2017, it was quite clear, the majority of the Hong Kong people, they do not want any the screening you know, of the candidacy. But uh, this report didn't show, you know, didn't show that. So it is quite clear this is a fake one and it, and it didn't reflect the real view of the Hong Kong people. Therefore, I call upon the Hong Kong people, they should support uh, Occupy Central. And if any organization want to initiate Occupy Central in August or in the coming days, uh, people power will strongly support and mobilize a supporter to engage themselves in, in civil disobedience movement. We had a very interesting exchange on Hong Kong today, early this morning. Our Mike Week spoke with lawmakers Regina Ip of the New People's Party and Ronnie Tung of the Civic Party. He first asked Mrs. Ip if she believed that the second stage of the consultation would give Hong Kong a simple choice of plans for electing the chief executive that would include ones allowing for genuine choice of candidates without screening. All elections involve competition or screening. Look at U.S. primaries. Their own system screens out nine out of ten candidates from each party. But it you screens know, them on popularity, uh, not on their political views. Well, you are um, making a prejudgment that those who are allowed to run are not popular or competent. What about competence? No, no, I'm not Long making any judgment. I'm just saying that Long anyone who's popular, popular should be allowed to run. Long hair is very popular. Yes. Do you think he is? Uh, <laughs> run as chief executive? Uh, I wouldn't know. I mean, we'd have to see. But, uh, well, I mean, well, I guess if people... To, you are prejudging the issue. You are prejudging the issue that those popular will be screened out. Okay, Ronnie Tong, what do you think? Do you think well, we'll get a genuine choice in the well, second well, round well, of well, consultation? Let me answer what uh, Regina just said. I, I disagree. Uh, I, I must say that uh, I'm not uh, heartened by the uh, consultation report. Uh, other than simply setting out, uh, you know, various views, the government has offered no solution to the 
stalemate between, uh, you know, the central government, the SAR government, uh, you know, and the people of Hong Kong. Uh, I think that some solution has got to be proposed by the government to allow us to go forward on this, because uh, if both sides were to insist on their respective stands, then, you know, I see very little hope that we can have genuine universal suffrage at the end of the year. Well, I think people who keep saying genuine universal suffrage have to define well, genuine you know very well, universal uh, suffrage. You know what, what everybody uh, well, means. Yeah, well, I have. It means committee to become much more representative and acceptable as a, as a body to decide CE candidates? I think that is what we should focus on rather than, you know, um, um, rather than um, issues like um, screening or, or genuine suffrage, you know. Well, I agree with that. I think I, I'm glad to hear Regina at least uh, you know, see eye to eye on at least one issue, and that is the representativeness of the nominating committee. I think that is the key to the whole political reform, because if the nominating committee can truly represent the people of Hong Kong, then uh, we need not worry about screening, and we need not worry about whether or not there is a civic nomination. Uh, so I think let's work on the key issue on this. I matter. think, yes, uh, and apart from nomination, committee, we should also focus on how the nominating committee will vote, whether they comply with democratic procedures, the wording in the basic law. Well, that, that's another key, and the procedure is a procedure of nomination. It should not be a procedure for election. Uh, the nominating committee should not uh, you know, usurp the function of the people of Hong Kong in uh, having a first election before allowing the people of Hong Kong to vote on the people they elected on. So I think you mean you mean by that well, the, the threshold you, shouldn't be so high that it precludes lots right. of I people. Mean, this is what we well, meant we, by screening. We, uh, we, we could all we could all look at that. We we should all look at the threshold. If you have a party and, system, the parties in countries where they have a party system, the parties also usurp the right of the people. Yeah, but that's only different. I mean, they, you know, they all represent the same political inclination. Uh, that's uh, very different. You know, you, you, you do, don't ask the Democrats to screen out the candidate of the Republicans. You know, it can't happen like that. Everybody knows that. I mean, if this is, uh, I have to say, that a matter of common sense. Uh, you know, if 
of uh, election within itself. That's okay. But you can't have your party coming around to my party and say, look, you know, this person can't run or that person can't run. I mean, it's really a very simple matter of logic. I mean, Regina, I really hope that we can, we can we, maybe get together over the summer, you know, and, and try to work okay, out these yeah. issues. And, you Certainly. Know. You know, the basic law says the nomination committee should be broad-based and we should work, work on that. Yeah, I agree uh, with that. that. They yeah. should nominate she in accordance with democratic procedures. We should also work on that. Yeah, okay, right. just, just, just finally, before I let you go, um, we're now effectively waiting for Beijing's pronouncement on Hong Kong's political reform. Um, obviously, from judging from you two, there's lots of discussion that should be held, but is there, do you believe, any room ahead once that pronouncement is made for more discussion? Regina? Well, the government said there will be stage two consultation at the end of the year. You know? And the, there should be room for some adjustment here and there. Okay, and, and uh, Mr. Tong? Well, I, I hope the pandemicists uh, will see the need uh, for negotiation because, uh, as I understand it, the invitation, for example, from uh, you know Chan uh, Wing uh, is still open. You know, from uh, the liaison office is still open, but the pandemicists have so far said no. Uh, I have. To, I hope that uh, you know, with time running out, that we should seize the opportunity and try to get together, you know, around the conference table and try to talk things through. Okay. Well, let's I agree entirely. I agree entirely with that. Whether we have a deal really depends on ourselves. Let's hope they went out for a cup of tea afterwards. Uh, Ronnie Tung there from the Civic Party, earlier in Hong Kong today, along with Regina Ip of the New People's Party. Peter Churchhouse from Asia Heart Assets is with me. Peter, I had intended to run a slightly shorter version of that, but it was too good. I don't think we can top that. Uh, that was pretty so fiery. That was that's, exciting. Yeah, that's was really, really great stuff. It's, it's, great really, to, it's great to see that uh, being aired. And it breaks down, really, what you see in the community. Uh, let's have a discussion about that, but I want to take a short break first, and then we'll come back. And we'll refocus on money as we get to 16 minutes now before 9 o'clock. This is Money for Nothing, and we're on Radio 3. It was a brutal schedule, and yeah, I'm still in Les Miserables mode. The number of bands that have applied to play at this festival was almost 100 bands wanting to play. They don't apologize for the fact that they know an ABBA song's going to come along. They're all making their voices heard on the brew. You have young people dressing you know, in bikinis and swimming suits overdo the water. It becomes a mush. Musicians, actors, writers, regular contributors from VIPs visiting the city. Yes, my first time in Hong Kong, and I'm loving it. Interesting people found lost in the corridor. I love you just passing through. Just kidding. You're on the air. Local happenings, current affairs, and yes, even cookery. We'll start with a yeah, decent quality of you know, butter. See, if I go shopping for flour, I buy flour. It's all on the morning brew with Phil Whelan. Weekdays on RTHK Radio 3. And I think we should stress this. None of this is to do with politics. None whatsoever.
Money for Nothing at 15 minutes before 9 o'clock. Here's how the European markets fared overnight as we return our focus to money and business and finance here on the program. The FTSE 100 down 35 points at 67.10. We also saw some selling across the continent. The DAX down 63 points. The CAC down 44 points in Paris at 43.05. Well, the HKMA and the Senta City Leading Index show that after six rounds of mortgage tightening since 2009, house prices have not really eased in Hong Kong. They've actually risen. Lending has been reduced, and we're joined now by uh, Peter Churchhouse, editor of Asia Heart Assets. Okay, Peter, um, let's talk a little bit about um, the politics as well. Uh, obviously, there are a lot of divisions in the community. We saw that with um, the very large turnout for the civil referendum and the very large turnout. Whatever the numbers you embrace, you uh, would be a fool not to say that those were massive numbers on July 1st. Uh, is it having much of an effect, do you think, on on business in the community? Well, I think it, I think it is. Uh, and, and some of it positive and some of it uh, negative. Uh, I get the sense that um, a, a lot of business is really worried about the increasing politicization uh, of Hong Kong, and there's this uh, vague sense that perhaps uh, uh, businesses might be looking at other uh, avenues to uh, place their investments. Does this uh, push people to Singapore? Well, I, I think it is to a certain extent, but I think also to other markets uh, such as Europe and the UK and, and uh, uh, parts of the European uh, region, which are a lot cheaper than uh, parts of this part okay, of the world. So you're speaking world of right investing now. rather than setting up uh, regional headquarters. Uh, absolutely, for certainly for investment, uh, that definitely is the case, and we're seeing that uh, from China as well, uh, with uh, Chinese organisations looking to invest in the UK. Uh, we're seeing increasing investment even in countries like Spain, Portugal, and uh, and France. Would you put new money to work there rather than in Hong Kong? Well, put it this way: I think in many of these markets, uh, assets are, are cheaper than they are in this part of the world. This part of the world really recovered from the global financial crisis much more quickly uh, than Europe has. And, and as a result, you could argue that uh, uh, Europe is lagging behind. Certainly we see that in asset prices, uh, for example, in hard assets such as real estate. Uh, Europe is definitely lagging behind this part of the world, lagging behind the, U- uh, the UK as well. Let me ask you a really basic question. Why have prices stayed so firm here? Well, I think one of the issues really is that there's not a lot of stress in the system. Uh, typically, when prices, uh, markets crash terribly, there's two things that, are, that uh, cause that. One is um, uh, distress in the system where there's too much lending, too much gearing, and that uh, the, the system has to be deleveraged, which is what happened in the U.S. The second uh, set of circumstances leading to big crashes in property markets tend to be oversupply, which is what happened uh, in, the, uh, in the European space and in, in the U.S. space in the late 80s, early 90s, where you had a massive overbuilding. Uh, so we haven't had either of those things here in Asia, either in Singapore or in Hong Kong. We have not had a massive amount of leverage in the system. We've not had problems with the banks. We've not had problems with the, the corporates overgearing. And we haven't had a huge amount of excess supply. So uh, th- we, those, those fundamentals really underpin the market. We are getting more supply. Um, it's coming, uh, oh, but it's albeit slow. slowly. It's very slow. Very yes. slowly. And it's um, really not great. I mean, yeah. uh, you know, production of housing throughout the 15 years up to 19, or 2004, uh, production of housing in Hong Kong private sector was about 
24,000 units a year on average. Well, that dropped to below 10,000 recently. It'll pick up to about 15 or 16,000, but still well below long-term averages. Do you put the blame on Donald Jong and his administration, or do you put the blame on anyone? Uh, were they just too slow to ramp up supply? Well, I think they were slow to ramp up supply, but also uh, the developers themselves created this problem to a certain extent. They leaned on the government uh, back in the post-Asia uh, financial crisis to cut back the land supply to protect themselves to stop property prices falling. Well, in fact, they fell well, 60%. It's not a problem for them. They've reaped buku bucks. Well, they lost a lot during that financial crisis, and, and you can understand the reason why they didn't want to see huge amounts of supply come on stream. Uh, so I, I think there's a, the, the finger can be pointed at a lot of, in a lot of directions here, but I think it's fair to say the government has been slow to increase the, the land supply in the last five or six years. So the one thing we don't have any control over is rates. Um, taking away the punch bowl is what central banks do when they think things get a little bit frothy. Uh, we can't do that here because of the pegged exchange rate. Absolutely. So they've done it with these, this kind of concept of macro prudential, which is an odd term, but uh, with uh, putting in regulation, putting in some administrative measures. Uh, I don't sense that you have been very much for these, but have they in one sense done the trick? They oh, they have the done the trick. Absolutely. Uh, it took a long while for it to happen, but from uh, the sort of early part of last year till the early part of this year, property prices uh, basically flatlined uh, down 3 or 4%, 5%, something like that, uh, and v- property transactions volumes totally collapsed uh, from around 10, 11,000 uh, transactions per month that dropped to three to 4,000. It picked up last month to around 5,000, but that's still well below the long-term averages in terms of volumes of transactions. So uh, it has had the desired effect. Uh, and also, you know, for example, uh, one of the macroprudential um, uh, measures, of course, is to try and de-risk the banks or at least prevent the, the, the banks taking on too much risk. Well, uh, they've done that. Uh, for example, the average loan-to-value ratio in the mortgage system now has dropped to about 55% from 64% a year or so ago. So I I think they've succeeded in de-risking the bank problems at this stage. Do you also feel that because there isn't much leverage in China that uh, we're not going to see a a big cataclysmic crash there either? Yeah, I I, I know it's it's very fashionable to be very bearish on the Chinese property market, and uh, I'm not as bearish as as many observers. I, I look at the Chinese property business, if you like, is a very large soccer team uh, where you've got the front three and the back eight. Uh, and the front three, uh, if we look at uh, in, 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 in property development terms, there's 84,000 developers in China. Well, the top handful of those developers are continuing to do very, very well, but the back uh, 60, 70,000 are, are struggling. Uh, so I think you've got a, a game of two parts here in the property sector. And for example, the companies who are listed in Hong Kong tend to be growing their, their sales still around 18, 20% per annum, despite the fact that uh, the property market in China itself is slowing down. Prices in many cities are trending gently to the downside rather than the upside. To prices here and the $64,000 question, and I know it's difficult because everybody's different, but young people listening to the program thinking, geez, prices are never going to go down here. Is now an okay time to buy in Hong Kong? Well, put it this way. I don't see an impending 50 60% crash in the property market here in, in Hong Kong uh, or in Singapore, uh, for that matter, anytime soon. Uh, the, the conditions just aren't there. And uh, yes, of course, if we have another uh, external shock, another uh, 
Lehman crisis moment, something like that, uh, all bets are off. But I, I, I think, uh, uh, quite frankly, we're in for a relatively flat uh, market, I would suggest, over the next uh, six to 12 yeah, months. What Nothing th- wrong with that. What do you think would be the kind of exogenous event that might uh, lead to a, a big sell-off? Well, I think, for example, if you, if you saw uh, a, a major meltdown in, in, uh, uh, in, in the bond markets and in Europe, for example, uh, at the moment, uh, quite frankly, even Greek uh, bonds uh, are trading at a very narrow spread to German bonds. I, I can't see the logic for that. But if there were some uh, some sort of ructions in the European debt markets, I think that could uh, be the similar have a similar effect as the so, Lehman moment. Uh, a few so, years thirty back. seconds or so. Do you think the bond market breaks before the equity markets generally, or or property? Uh, well, I suspect that could well be the case. I think bonds, uh, particularly in Europe, look very expensive. Uh, right now, equity markets are nowhere near as expensive as bond markets in Europe, and uh, I think you could uh, almost argue a similar thing uh, here in this part of the world. Okay, Peter, thank you very much. I know you were very patient, but you did get the payoff of a very interesting interview there with Regina and Ronnie. So uh, we'll say goodbye for now, and thanks very much for joining us here on thank Money for Nothing. Thank you. That is Peter Churchhouse, editor of Asia Hard Asset. <laughs> Well, the operator of the proposed Ferris wheel on the harbor front in central, Swiss AEX, is hoping that a million people will ride it. It's going to be a 60-meter-high Hong Kong observation wheel. It's expected to be up and running, if you can believe this, within a couple of months. Timothy Pearson-Smith, a spokesman for the project, joins us now on the line. Mr. Pearson-Smith, good morning. Good morning, Brian. Why is this something that so few of us heard all that much about, and now all of a sudden it's here? Um, well, I think because the government were very smart in identifying uh, the, the site on the centre of the waterfront as a, a perfect location to draw people to the, the harbour front. And so they tendered out uh, this opportunity and uh, Swiss AX uh, won it and has been working very hard since June last year, um, getting all the design of the wheel um, done. Um, been built in the Netherlands, and it's, uh, there's a lot of people on the construction site right now. Well, we don't seem to see it. I mean, where, where exactly is the site, oh, okay. and are you seeing much um, much activity there? Yes. Uh, to, to explain, it's between piers uh, 9 and 10, so it's right on uh, near the new Star Ferry, just adjacent to the Hong Kong Maritime Museum. Um, it's uh, basically the site uh, is... Uh, got a lot of construction workers were building the foundations for the uh, for the Ferris wheel, as you said, 60 meters high, 20 stories high, and there's also a Dutch team of uh, assembly workers, basically putting together the uh, the different components of the wheel um, and the gondolas. Right now, as we speak, actually, we had a, a site visit yesterday, and there was there's about uh, 40 people on site building it. And as you said, the aim is that it's up and running in uh, September. My, that's uh, a rap- that's a really quick uh, pace. Uh, I was just at the Maritime Museum for an interesting seminar uh, on the Kaitak Cruise Terminal this past weekend, and it brought to mind um, our launch of Operation Santa Claus last year, which we did. And I have to tell you, it was so windy that day that all the pictures of me or my hair is flying off, the, <laughs> off my head. And, and, it, and it does actually raise the question of typhoon season. That's We're in it. Question. And, you know, the weather there could be pretty crazy at times. How's that going to affect the operations of a fair? That's a very good question. Brian, uh, 
um, the, 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 basically the wheel has been designed to withstand typhoons and super typhoons. Uh, obviously, if there's uh, strong winds, then uh, people will have to, won't be able to take the, the, the ride, but it's designed to withstand it. In fact, the company that we chose to build it actually is a company in the Netherlands called Dutch Wheels, and they basically build offshore oil rigs. So they're very, very uh, familiar with uh, building uh, all of their things to uh, the highest international standards. So uh, it, we're very confident that it's uh, lo both local and international standards. It's one of the safest wheels uh, ever built. You're talking about a million people to ride it in the first year. I mean, that's um, that's a lot of people, um, 80 or 90 or 100,000 a month. Uh, um, how do you get that many people on? Will there be long lines? Uh, good, again, another good question. There's uh, There are 42 uh, different gondolas. Those are the cabins which hold eight people. And they can be loaded. Uh, t two of those can be loaded at a time. And uh, basically, we've sort of made that estimate of a million based on a wheel that the company Swiss AEX is operating in Bangkok. And uh, in terms of managing the queues, obviously in high days and holidays, we really hope that the Hong Kong community come out with their families and ride the wheel. Um, but based on the experience that we've got operating wheels both in Bangkok, Antwerp and Paris, that uh, we can manage the queuing so that the aim is to have people queuing no more than about 15 minutes and then the ride will be between 15 and 20 minutes. But we can manage the, the, the queuing so that uh, the people won't have kind of huge, huge queues, except, you know, we hope, hope it's very busy, but we hope that people don't have to have too long a... It's only 15, 20 minutes. Are the gondolas enclosed? Uh, yeah, and they would are. they be air-conditioned then? They're, 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 uh, they're basically uh, air-conditioned, very comfortable. All the passengers would sit in the gondola, uh, eight people per cabin, air-conditioning. And costing how much? Uh, it's cost uh, 200... Oh, sorry, in terms of the investment, 200 million uh, for the first phase for the construction of, of the wheel. And for passengers, it's 100 Hong Kong dollars for an adult. Seventy dollars for uh, children, and then it's discounted rate for students, the elderly, and disabled people. Okay. So. All right, we're out of time, but sounds very interesting. Thanks very much for joining us, Tim. Thanks, Brian. That's Tim Pearson Smith, a spokesman for this project, Swiss AEX. Money for nothing coming to the close today. Thanks very much for joining us. So we'll briefly tell you in the weather. Markets are just generally higher this morning, so we go out with a slightly uh, green spin. The weather fine, apart from showers. Some heavy rain expected at times over the next couple of days. And quite windy. The maximum today, 34. Morning Brew is next.